everyone. Welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. Uh, this is, of course, a podcast exploring the connections between anime and Canadian media. Uh, we talk about a lot of things related to that, but the thing that the audience, you guys, keep demanding over and over again is more voice actor interviews. More voice actor interviews. Well, guess what? Today we're doing another voice actor interview with a very notable Canadian voice actor. It is, I believe it's Cole motherfucking Howard? Uh, to some, yes. To some, okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, Cole, I think folks might recognize you from uh, a few titles like Zoid's Wild and Dragon Prince and Gintama. And what, what else have you done? Who are you exactly? Right, well, I'm, uh, yeah, as as previously stated, I am Cole motherfucking Howard to some. Um, I've been doing professional voiceover for the better part of 20 years. Um, a lot of that has been anime. A lot of that has been... Uh, other stuff like My Little Pony and uh, and uh, Spider Man and the Dragon Prince, like you noted. But yeah, mostly I'm a mostly I'm just a voiceover actor who will do whatever my agent sends me out to do. <laughs> and you said you started around 20 years ago. You mm-hmm. really began your career doing the voices of, of teenage boys, and you have continued more or less to do the voices of teenage boys, from what I've uh, I've noticed. Yes, that is very accurate. So years ago, I came to the determination that I will never develop a delicious, beautiful baritone voice. Um, I will never be Brian Drummond or uh, Ian Hanlon, for that matter, uh, with a delicious uh, low voice. I will forever sound like this, um, which is great. Uh, and, I, and I came to terms with that. And now I realize that just sounding like this is a really, really good place to be uh, for voiceover. So... That's uh it really is cuz you're you're <laughs> able to nail that that like that shonen protagonist kind yes. of uh kind of tone that that is a very narrow range. Um it is. it's uh you can't like in Japan typically those characters are usually just voiced by female voice actresses and they just kind of leave it at that. Sometimes they do that in English, but it yep. doesn't always work. And then when you're trying to get you can get an actual teenager to do the voice, but when you're getting him to do like, you know, 300 episodes of something might not work in the long term. Not not every adult male can can really capture that um, that tone. But I mean, you do it so well. I I I just I watched some episodes of of Zoid's Wild and like yeah. you totally you just completely nail that that shonen protagonist vibe. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's it it it's been a long time in in development. Like honestly, I um like w- when I first started doing this work, I was fifteen, uh, sixteen. And you know, so I that that came really naturally to me. And then as as I got older, and as I I mean, my my voice changed obviously as everyone's does. You know, I didn't always sound this delicious and amazing. Um, I just had to figure out how to keep finding that range in me. And uh, you know, it's it, it's relatively easy to pitch your voice up, but I don't think that's what makes a good like that good hero sound. I think that good hero sound has to you have to sound like you're wide eyed. Um, and just like full of excitement and exuberance. And, uh, I, I think for as much as it is about what the voice sounds like, I think it's always about how the, uh, how the character sounds, you know, and that, that sounds a little high minded, but I'm standing by it. Yeah. And you said you started around the age of 15. So, um, the picture of you, you find on like IMDb and Wikipedia, and I think is like the, the first Google image that comes up for, for Cole Howard. How old were you in that pic? Oh gosh. Um, uh, if it's the memory I'm, I'm picturing, or if it's the picture I'm 
remembering, uh, with, I'm wearing like a college shirt. Um, that would have been when I was, that, that's actually probably when I was 18. Uh, I think that picture was taken with me next to my first car and then it just got cropped <laughs> and somehow thrown on the yeah. internet. And now I mean, that's just me forever. It, it's on IMDb. So like that's, that's how you're <laughs> going to be immortalized. <laughs> Amazing. There's, there's a few more recent ones floating around. I think, uh, I think anime yeah. news networks was more up to date. You know, before I get into the the most popular questions, like what inspires you? How did you get started in voice acting? How can I become a voice actor? Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about one thing that you've done in just the last few years that I think um, ma- made quite a splash, which is you were Shinpachi in season three of Gintama. Yeah. So this, so what happened with this was it was a rare project that Crunchyroll sent to Ocean Studios in Vancouver. They recorded it years ago, put it in a vault somewhere for like two or three years, and then finally released it, and then didn't dub anymore, and then Hulu got the first two seasons, and then they moved the production to Miami. Is this the story of your life, Cole? I mean, uh, not, not, not so much, um, although, you know been recast a fair amount of times um that's <laughs> but uh yeah <laughs> no no uh n- not so much and actually i didn't know that it went to miami um i mean all power to the guy who got shimpachi it's one of the hardest roles i've ever played in my life i uh, yeah i mean i had michael dangerfield on the show a couple of years ago talking about doing gintoki and he was kind of just amazed that he made it through that experience. Yep. Um, yeah. I, I know talking with him, he, he wasn't really familiar with the show going in, and he just just went for it um, yeah. without questioning anything. And the results were kind of amazing. So, Cole, I know, I know you are, are like an anime and animation fan. Were you familiar with Gintama when you um, were going into that role? Uh, I wasn't familiar with it explicitly mm-hmm. uh, until I... Until I booked it, because uh, I believe I, I went in and it, like the audition was under, uh, like a code name, uh, so I yeah. didn't know what the the actual show was, and so you know I just went in and I did my thing, and you know I had a good time recording the audition, and then I left, and then when the production team got in touch with me, they're like, okay, yeah, you got this thing, um, and we're gonna send you the first couple episodes, or we're gonna direct you to the first couple episodes, and that rarely happens with ADR stuff, like, um, with uh. With, with dubbed stuff, with anime shows, like with Zoids, for instance, you know, I auditioned for it and I got the thing and then I just showed up on the first day and I saw the script and it was like the first frames of the show I had seen, essentially. And so I was pretty surprised that they were sending us this this footage of this show. I, I know, like, Michael said that he didn't always understand the humor. He just kind of rolled with it. Did you find that you were just rolling with it a lot of the time or did you like do research or how how much did you kind of dig your teeth into it? Yeah, I, that's a good question. I think the um when you're when you're dubbing over a show, when you're dubbing over an anime series, um it's always good to be familiar with the property and it's good to know, you know, f- familiarize yourself with like the tone of the show and uh you know how the show likes to present itself and this kind of stuff. But also um as an actor, like that's not really your job. Your job isn't to direct the tone of the show. That's the director's job. And the director mm-hmm. has talk to the production team. They know what they're doing. They know what their focus is. They know what they're trying to accomplish. And so I think you can really shoot yourself in the foot coming in with too much of an idea of of what this show's supposed to be and yeah. what I'm supposed to do with it. Um, and fortunately, uh, at Ocean, like uh, Carl Willems, who's worked there forever, yeah. uh, who's an incredible director, um, it's really awesome to go into a session with Carl because he knows what he's looking for. He knows where he's trying to get you to go. 
um, and he knows what the what the production team wants. Um, so uh, I guess that's a long way of answering your question, but uh, yeah, my, my my answer would be no. I, I wasn't overly familiar with the show. I was just ready to go in and just do whatever they wanted me to do, and that ended up being really really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like I've watched some episodes of that dub and I just kind of can't believe what I'm hearing a lot of the time. It's like, wow, this they made this work somehow. I can't even begin to imagine how it, it, it seems like it just kind of happened. Obviously, it was it didn't just happen. A lot of a lot of work had to have gone into it. But tons. But, yeah, yeah I, I, every time I every time I, I see danger. Uh, you know, he, he, he still calls me patchy from time to time, but, uh, but every time I see Mike Dangerfield, like there, there is kind of this, uh, like we, we're like old war buddies. We like look at one another and it's like, <laughs> the, the, the old Dragon Ball guys have that too. They have that with themselves where it's just like, yeah, we worked our asses off on that. <laughs> and I, Dragon Ball is something you did finally get to be involved with. Um, that was, that was an even more tragic story because you, you dubbed that whole Dragon Ball Z Kai dub and it's just sitting in a vault somewhere never apparently never to be seen or spoken of uh except on here on this show which is fine because this has been public knowledge for a while now but you were yeah, at 17 uh, yeah very cool uh and and like really the 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 opposite of shimpachi in terms of being cast like i always wanted to be on dragon ball it's the reason i got into uh voiceover one of the reasons i got into voiceover and uh I always wanted to be on that show. I always wanted to be like Trunks or um like uh like Gohan or something. But uh <laughs> but when I got cast as 17, I was like this is great. I don't have to do any screaming. I don't have to do any like power-up noises. I just get to play this cool like cool calm collected yeah. android character and I was like, "Oh man, this is great. It was a dream come true." Like like short of short of playing a character who wears a mask in a dub, um that is that that, that is like that's about as much best you can ask for is play like a a really monotonous android like yeah. please yeah that's <laughs> i'm glad you got to be involved with it i hope i hope we can see that dub someday but yeah what a, what a weird mystery around that one it's um yeah still amazing that they dub that whole thing and then just not not do anything with it but well it's a weird business sometimes i guess and how weird and mysterious uh Colt, like quite a few um voice actors who are active now you started out in calgary right uh yes that's correct so can, can you just kind of how, how did things get started for you in uh for voice acting or acting in general yeah uh, another great question and uh yeah so i i was always a pretty performative kid uh safe to say and my mom bless her heart um she recognized this in me and so she started putting me into like community theater and stuff in edmonton where i was born mm -hmm. um I did community theater for a while and I was in like this recurring production of a Christmas carol. And because I was always this tiny little kid, I didn't age out of that role. So I played pretty much the same roles, you know, like street urchins or whatever in, mm -hmm. in Charles Dickens, a Christmas carol. I played that like, uh, for like five years in a row, six years in a row. Um, and so late, late in that run, like, you know, five years into it, one of the grown up actors, said to me, he's like, he's like, have you ever considered doing voiceover? I was like, no, I don't even know what that is. And he's like, oh, you really should. And that was basically it. And then I took that summer, I think I took a film acting uh, workshop. And, I, and the woman who was running it also ran a voiceover workshop. Her name was Deb Monroe. And um, so I took her class and immediately I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. This is great. 
And then she set me up with an audition for this studio in, uh, in Calgary called Chinook Animation. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom took the day off work and she was driving me down to Calgary. It's about a three hour drive. And the whole way down, we're just listening to classic rock. We're just having a great time. It's, it's really fun. And we get 20 minutes out and mom turns down the radio and she goes, so what are you going to do? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I hadn't even thought about it. I was like, I don't, like, I don't know. I'm like, that's a great question. What am I going to do? Because that's how I always am. And so mom, in her in- infinite wisdom, was just like, because like, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll do this accent and I'll do this voice and I'll do this and I'll do this. And she was like, you know what you should do? Just talk like yourself. You should just talk like yourself. And I was like, okay. So I went in and, you know, I, I, you know, I gave him a little bit of like, you know, me just being young. And then I gave him like some weird, like, kind of like, oh, I don't know, like some sort of like, you know, doing this kind of thing or whatever. Um, anyways, I, I did a, a few voices and they, they were just like, yeah, that's great. Uh, we'll be in touch. And then like a week and a half later, they had me playing Mega Man for a PSP game. <laughs> it was wild and it was awesome. I was, uh, I was in the 11th grade at the time and it was so friggin' cool to be like, sorry, teach, can't come in. I'm going down to Calgary to be in TV. <laughs> you know, which, which Mega was, Man game was that? That was Mega Man powered up for the mm. PSP. It was my first ever paying voiceover gig. And what, uh, was that the only one you did for Mega Man? Yes. Oh. Yeah, the only video game, yeah. yeah. And at that point, were you, like, what kind of work were you getting mostly when you started? Was it uh, more video game work, or were, I, I know that this, this was the point of time when a lot of, like, Bandai Entertainment's anime was being sent to, uh, to, the, to the Calgary Studios. Yeah, so uh, Mega Man Powered Up was the only video game I did till I moved to Vancouver in 08. Okay. Um, so I, I did Powered Up, um, which was really cool. And then after that, I'm trying to think what, what came next. I know uh, shortly after that, uh, I, was, I did the My Hime dub. And My then Hime, I did, yes. Yeah. And then I did the La Ueki. Yes. La, La Ueki, yes. Yeah. So in, in My Hime and, and My Otome, you were, yeah. you were Takami, who's... The main character's brother. Um, yeah. I guess if people don't are, don't remember my Hime, it was it was kind of a a big thing uh, when it was first airing. It was like mid two thousands. It's like this stupidly horny mid two thousands sunrise anime with um with lots of lesbian undertones, and they fight they, they seem to fight each other with Zoids. Um, essentially, I mean they're basically Zoids. Um, yeah, I, like honestly, I, I I know nothing about that show yeah. because everything my character did was just show up and kind of like ogle his sister and their friends, <laughs> <laughs> just leave. Like what? All it was was just, it was a lot of like open mouth blushing reacts, mm. like a lot of like, ah, oh, you know. What you were you were fifteen or sixteen yeah. when you recorded that yeah. one? What was what was it like recording that as a tender uh a, a tender child? I mean, it was hilarious, man. Like it was it was hilarious. I so typically. I would typically, because I lived in Edmonton three hours away, they'd schedule me over two days, and they had this weird little apartment that I could stay at overnight. It was really, it was a really oh, wow. cool setup. And so I'd go, I'd take the bus down, I'd take the, the commuter bus down to Calgary, and I'd go and I'd record for the first day, and then uh, uh, I'd stay in this apartment by myself, like this 15-year-old, I'd borrow a bunch of movies from Brad the Engineer, <laughs> And I just watched those movies all night and eat Chinese food. And then the next day I'd come back and record. So it was really awesome. I I, I felt like a rock star, man. It was it was great. And I'd go in and we'd uh, because you know I was I was like I don't know because of 
stuff. I was recording like six hours a day. Like those right, like yeah. long recording sessions, yeah. but it was awesome. It was great. That that show currently uh, is unlicensed, but someone just dumped the whole thing on YouTube. It's um, it, it's definitely funny to go back to if you if you hadn't watched it. It's like it, it's like you're watching something out of time. <laughs> it's it's so it is so mid two thousands. But yeah, also you know going back to your ability to just perfectly do that uh, shonen protagonist voice. Yeah, you were the main character Kosuke in La of La of Law right. of Ueki, that's, there's no good way to pronounce that. Um, so hard to say. So if I recall, I think, I think Genion was doing that title around the mid-2000s, and I think they only, I don't think they did the whole thing. Do you, uh, do you remember if there was like a partial job or, or what could, what was, um, was, was that, and you were doing that around the same time as Mahime? Yeah, I mean, it, it all kind of blurs together yeah. of those, uh, th- those, those couple years, um, uh, but yeah, uh, Ueki, man, like, Ueki must have gone for like 50 plus episodes. Yeah. I know yeah. we did a, I know we did a ton of them. I think we did maybe 70 or so. It was, uh, it was awesome. It was great work. Um, and like, honestly, man, like, invaluable in terms of giving me reps behind a mic, um, before I came out here. Um, like just the, the hours and hours of working with, uh, with the same engineer and then later director, um, on that series was so invaluable. It taught me so much about how to be a good professional and an efficient ADR, um, you know, actor. It was great. Um, really, really bizarre show, but it was fun to do for sure. Yeah, definitely one of those shown in action shows that are just like, let's, you know, let's see what weird elements we can combine together and see what sticks kind of thing. But I know it was pretty popular uh, back at that time that it was running. Um, that too is just, I, uh, I don't know if anyone has the rights to that right now. I think that also might be something where they just someone where you can get the dubbed episodes on um, on YouTube. But I I don't know if the whole thing got released. I think it may have only gotten like 39 episodes out or something like that. I'll uh I'll yeah. double check it if I can if, if there's anything out there. I'll uh my I'll uh, my, my my mom's ringtone has been the the Love Ueki theme song for <laughs> well since since I did the show. That's adorable. <laughs> That's really great. <laughs> oh, it's super adorable. Yes, yeah. I think I think actually my mom has. Uh, I think she found. I might have this wrong, but I, I feel like she found um, our dub on DVD. Actually. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Uh, yeah, it got released on DVD. I think. Um, yeah. It was it was in stores for sure. I remember. Um, yeah, there, so we it, have those somewhere. Yeah. I might have. Yeah, that one never got on That's TV funny. or anything though. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, it's a, de- definitely. I can see why that would be a, a formative job for you. Uh, also, while Very. you were in Calgary, I think you also did. Uh, you were in Full Moon Osagashite. Uh, yeah, that, that one? sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, not so much. I remember. I remember Hoop Days. Uh, I yeah, remember yeah. doing the Hoop- basketball one. Hoop yeah, Days. Yeah, oh, I remember doing. Um, oh, what the hell was that show called? I'm oh, sorry, I lost it. Uh, Tideline Blue. That's the one. Yes, yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, that, that was one of my that was one of my early jobs too. I remember I walked in on my first session and I looked at the script and it was this big old monologue, um, <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, like I have to voice, I have to mouth flap match all of this. And then I realized my character was wearing a mask. I was just mm. like, this is awesome. This is great. Don't have to match any flaps. I just got to time it out. Perfect. Yeah, that's that's another one of those. Bandai Entertainment titles from that time that I think is just 
it's just kind of lost right now. A lot of a lot of the major ones got relicensed, but some of them are just kind of kind of in purgatory. But yeah, that just makes it easier to pirate, I guess. Um, <laughs> There's that. And uh, yeah, and and you were Sato in in Hoop Days, which was originally titled Dear Boys in Japanese. I I guess they changed it because they didn't want it to sound gay or something like that. Um, yeah. yeah, this was back when they were like super paranoid about license or releasing any sports anime because they're like, oh, mm-hmm. it doesn't sell. Anime fans don't like sports. They have since realized that leaning into the gayness is actually how you how you sell that stuff. Um, but do you remember anything about doing doing that series? Um, I, I remember that the all the scripts were called Dear Boys, and yeah, yeah. we and we and we, we um, talked about that a lot at length. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, no, I, I I remember actually it was my that was my first introduction to uh, to like sports in anime, and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I was really into basketball at the time. And I was just like, this is so cool. I would absolutely watch this show if it was on, you know, after like before Gundam Wing or something. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was never meant to be. Yeah, it's uh, it, it never caught on on TV really. But a lot of the stuff's yeah. like popping up on Netflix. Like you can watch like Haikyuu. Those are on Netflix now. So I think that's that, that kind of thing's kind of starting to catch on many years later. But yeah, at that time, sports anime was. You know, it, it was it was considered a hard sell, and like you know, like you said, it's, a lot of people were surprised it even existed. But mm-hmm. so, you know, it's a huge thing in Japan to have uh, every every magazine has like a a couple sports titles going at any time. So right, yeah, yeah. Um, and was there anything else that you did while you were in Calgary that you can remember? No, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I I remember going down there a lot, and I remember uh, especially doing uh, Ueki. Uh, I remember doing that, like, when I think of my time in Calgary, I think of going and recording Ueki, because it was just, we did it, I mean, it was legitimately, like, once every two weeks, I would spend two days down in Calgary just recording a ton of this show, and it was the coolest thing to tell my, and I was in, like, this cool arts school, and it was so cool to tell all the other actor kids that I was like, <laughs> oh, sorry, gang, I, I I wish I could be there for rehearsal for our for our student production, but uh, I gotta be in Calgary. I'm I'm recording cartoons. It was the coolest thing ever. Um, but I it also taught me a really valuable lesson that uh, a lot of people tire really quickly of listening to you talk about voicemail for cartoons, unless they're a very specific group of people. <laughs> Um, so yeah, you, you started in Calgary and yes. at some point you made the move over to Vancouver and I, I had Matthew Erickson on the show before and I will admit I, I copy and pasted a bunch of questions and I asked him into yours, but what, what was your, um, you know, what, what brought you to Vancouver? What was your, your experience? Or were you, were you like, were you doing like remote work with Vancouver studios beforehand or what, like what, what was your story there? Right. So, um, so Chinook and Ocean are kind of married. They're, mm-hmm. they're under the same kind of production, uh, group. And so I had worked with, uh, with a Vancouver director before, uh, a couple of them. Um, uh, but, uh, what actually brought me out to Vancouver was, was two things. One was I was just stagnating in Edmonton after I graduated. Um, you know, there was a little bit of voiceover stuff, but it wasn't that, um, it wasn't going to keep me afloat in, in Edmonton, and I had no desire to move to Calgary. Um, and then my my dad got sick, and my dad lives in BC, and so my dad was diagnosed with cancer, and I 
decided because I had my car and I had nothing going on that I was just going to head out and oh. go live with him. So I moved out and I was living with dad on Salt Spring. Uh, and that was great. Uh, and then, yeah. And then after a bit of time, I, I kind of got lucky with, uh, with just like my, my old Calgary connections, uh, kind of came up and I ended up getting to record Del Toro Quest, um, in, uh, here in Vancouver, which was really, really great. Uh, and that was the first time I got to work with Carl in person, which was sweet. That show um, was, that was big in Australia, from what I recall. Man, yeah. well, <laughs> say what you will about Australians, they got great taste. Um, yeah, and so, uh, anyways, that's what brought me out to BC. Uh, and so, all that aside, the fact that I was stagnating and the fact that dad was, uh, sick and all this, uh, more than anything else, I really, really wanted to, I really wanted to be a voiceover actor. And I really wanted to just keep doing that. Uh, it became the thing that I not only, really love doing but something that i that i determined i was rather good at and so i was just like i just want to make this happen um and vancouver seemed like the right avenue for it and yeah and then i just kept getting lucky <laughs> so at, at this point you still hadn't like defined yourself as or defined voice acting as your career yeah i would say i would say that happened when i when i got my when i got really lucky and i got my agent when i when mm. i got my oh, agent yeah. That's when I was like, okay, I'm. I think I can actually be a. I can make a run at being a pro. Also, regarding Del Toro Quest, it was based on a series of Australian novels. That's why that show is popular there. I don't think it even gained go. traction uh, here. But that that was that your um that was one of your first big titles in Vancouver. Yes. Yeah. I mean the 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 best part about it was getting to meet Carl uh, Willems in person, um, who has like since gone on to become one of my like best like one of my best friends in the city he'd never admit to that but um i i adore that man and he yeah there's like i i've had the pleasure and privilege of working with him many many times uh throughout my career in vancouver and even before like i mentioned and every time uh it's been a a, a joy like a an absolute privilege he made me a better actor and a better professional and a better person uh, Carl Willems is an absolute rock star. I love that man. So I know that even though they're both under the ocean banner, um, studios in Calgary and Vancouver are, are a little different. Like one's union, one's non-union. Were there any differences in your experience working on either side? I mean, I was really just like pretty directionless and I was just kind of, I was just hoping, man. Like I, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have an agenda. I, I was just going to come out to, I was going out to BC to be close to my dad and to be far away from home and everything else just fell into place. Like I, and I mean, this isn't saying that I'm, that I, that I didn't like actively participate in the seeking out of this career, but I got so inordinately lucky by way of meeting good people, but also being in a position where if somebody lobbed an opportunity at me, um, I was ready to do it. And th that's like what the time in Calgary got me to do. Like it, it gave me more than enough confidence to believe, maybe falsely, to believe that I could absolutely do this as a professional. When I walked into that meeting with my agent, I was so confident. I was so overconfident. And it was, I mean, in retrospect, it's, it makes me cringe, but 
when I walked into that office, I was like, they, they have to sign me. Of course they, they, they have to. I'm, uh, I'm great at this. Look, look, look at my resume or whatever. Um, and none of that means much, but fortunately my agent, um, has the, had the clairvoyance or the, or at least the, she, she believed in me. I, I walked in and I, maybe I didn't wow her, but she believed in me, uh, enough to give me a chance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and luckily she's, she's, she's still kind of in that boat. <laughs> so in Vancouver, you've done a lot of dubbing work, but also prelay work as well, mm-hmm. which I don't think you, you did too much. Well, you did some of with, with, uh, um, in Calgary, but you've, you've certainly done more and bigger roles with that here in Vancouver. Um, I think probably two of the most notable ones would be, uh, Terramar in My Little Pony Friendship is Magic and, uh, Crowmaster in Dragon Prince, which I know you, you, you spoke of, uh, quite a bit the last time you were on, mm-hmm. uh, on the podcast when we did that Christmas special. Um, so what, uh, could you talk about those roles or just doing prelay in general? How do you find that compared to, uh, you know, doing, um, ADR. Yeah. Awesome question. Um, yeah, I, so doing anime and doing ADR dubbing is an incredible way to become a better voiceover actor. Um, I think that, and, and, and also that this all, this all stems from theater stuff. Like voiceover, I've always thought is really theatrical and really like um you know more so than film and television and so when you're doing when when i'm working behind a microphone it's really animated and it's really big and i it 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 always feels like i'm playing to like a 400 seat auditorium um and and prelay was just that but on steroids like prelay now is like like because you're working in such a constrained space in an ADR dubbing setting, you have to make sure that your performance matches the flaps and matches what's happening on screen. But with prelay, it's like swing for the fences, go try something, go have some fun. Like they're animating this later. So give them something fun to animate. And that is such a freeing and cool experience after you've done a ton of ADR. And so I was just overwhelmed. Like some of the first prelay stuff I got, I was like, I can't believe this. And it, it it felt like it felt like Hollywood, man. It felt like like you go into some of these big studios in Vancouver at, at, when I was uh, when I was just getting to the city. And it was like you see the posters up of like Reboot and uh, and uh, Beast Wars and My Little Pony. And you and you look at it and you go like, that's my childhood. Like, this is it. This is where they did that stuff. Anyways, it was very cool. So doing yeah. prelay, I mean, d- doing getting my those first few Vancouver gigs was just like uh, an amazing experience, an amazing experience. And it hasn't stopped being an amazing experience. Yeah. And also in relation to doing the, the prelay work, there's so much work that is like a, a dual production between Vancouver and LA, you know, we're, we're seeing fewer projects being sent to Vancouver specifically, but uh, some ho- very high profile stuff gets Vancouver casting as a result of that approach and you know i think i think dragon prince definitely falls in into that category uh and you you're in it starting with season two and that that show is still going um on netflix if i'm uh if i'm not mistaken it's correct yeah Yeah. so uh, i uh yeah yeah i i i don't know what its recording schedule is but uh it's been picked up for four more seasons 
That's crazy. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> That's like almost Rick and Morty level renewal. Uh, but I, I, I take it it's been very successful. Do, uh, um, like, what, what do you got? What, do, do you have anything else to say about, about just working on that show or, uh, or, or your role on that show as, as Crowmaster? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, um, that show was so cool, is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember my, my favorite story about this, and forgive me if I've told it before, but my favorite story about the, about Crowmaster was, um, I mean, I was, I was desperate for any part on that show. You know, I, I remember I auditioned for all the dude parts and, you know, I was desperate for any of them, uh, because it looked so cool and mm-hmm. you can always tell when a show's, when a show's gonna pop. And anyway, so I, I finally got this part, <clears throat> this Crowmaster part, and I went in and, I was working next to Jason Simpson, who I adore. And, uh, you know, we recorded the scene as written. And then Jason and I were just kind of bantering between takes. And one of the producers who was in the room, one of the writer producers, he like leans in on the mic and he's just like, what you guys were just doing, just do more of that. That was great. And so Jason and I did another like two takes of us just kind of goofing around and just, you know, playing with the scene. And, I just remember everyone was delighted by what Jason and I did, and I was just over the moon that I just got to go play with my friend, and and then they kept bringing me back for that character, and it was such a like that's a cool experience to just feel like, um, I I don't think that they had had too much of a thought about what Crowmaster was supposed to be in the show, uh, and you know he's still very much a very tertiary character, but I I do feel that they they found a few they they found some extra reasons to bring him back just so I could play with Jason some more. Um I don't know if that's true but I, I that's what I choose to believe. <laughs> I mean that's how it works a lot of the time. And that's the thing about doing prelay is that sometimes you uh you you can spark things at other levels of the creative process uh that might not have been there just simply on the writing level itself. So I mean it all it all kind of builds on each other. So yeah, yeah makes, totally. I mean it makes sense. And, um, yeah, and, uh, My Little Pony, uh, Terramar. So, like, what, what, what is your experience with just the My Little Pony friendship is magic phenomenon? I know it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of done. We're moving on to, like, new generations of My Little Pony stuff at this point now, I think. But, um, yeah, that was, uh, that, that, it it was a big deal. (laughs) I mean, the, the biggest. Uh, when I was in, when I just moved to the city, you know, uh, 2008, My Little Pony was like kind of hitting its its real like uh, zenith, at least for the at least in the way that it was discussed in the city. You know, it was it was the white whale. It was the thing that everyone wanted to get on. And I mean, I I, I was auditioning for MLP like since 2009, 2010. You know, and I was uh you know I'd go out every you know every couple months for a different recurring or something. <clears throat> And nothing landed and nothing landed. And it was the white whale. It was the thing I, I really wanted that, I really wanted that, those words on my resume. Um, for as, for as, uh, silly as that sounds. But it was, it's a big deal. It's a big show. Um, and a, and a, and a good credit. And, and, and that's really the way I was thinking about it. And then I got on the show, finally, as Terramar. And the character was a character who actually, like, um, who actually like meant something to me when I read the, when I read who the character was and I read his description and, you know, dealing with like divorced families and stuff. 
uh, it was like, this is great. This is an awesome little bit of representation and it speaks to who I am as a person. So that was really great. And then, uh, I did the thing, recorded it. It was a dream come true, awesome experience. And then a few, like a year later, I guess, after it aired, I got my first ever piece of fan mail from a My Little Pony fan in Arizona, and it was, like, jaw-dropping, because in all that time, I was thinking about how this thing would, how it would be great to have for my career, and what a great thing to have on my resume, and all this stuff. Um, Then I I got the real amazing introduction that, you know, this this is a thing that belongs to so many other people, and it means so much to other people. And since then, the MLP fan fan base have been so gracious and welcoming and lovely and warm to me. Um, it's been a really monumental experience, uh, re- really important experience for me as a as a professional. I, I I can't thank those people enough for for making me feel appreciated. It's such a it's such a gift to be able to do that for people, and I truly don't think they understand how how big a gift it is uh, for somebody like myself to hear someone say, I listened to your work and I thought it was awesome. I really liked it. Or that character really spoke to me that, that, that is beyond moving. I could cash a bazillion paychecks. That would be awesome. But, uh, it doesn't quite come up to what that means when you're trying to go to sleep at night. You know, it's, it's a great feeling. And have, have you been to like the local conventions, uh, and stuff like that for, uh, for my little pony? I think, I think, were you a guest at, uh, at one at one point? Yeah, I, I've done I've done a few cons over the last couple months. Um, of course, they've all been virtual. Oh, uh, yeah. so I've done a bunch of virtual uh, pony cons, which has been really great, like really incredible, like um, wonderful job putting those things together and uh, yeah, running those things. I don't know how I don't know how these people do it, but they're incredible. They're really good at it, and they're great to us uh, uh, voice actors, their guests. It's really cool. Yes, I mean on that. Yeah, virtual conventions are something that have taken off, um, especially for anime. There have been quite a few of them over the last year, and it's something that's you know still a work in progress. People are trying to to figure out, but for like you know Q and A and panel content, it it really does work. And I think it's also great for people who can't actually make it to phys- who at previously weren't able to make it to to physical conventions. Which you know when you live in a place like Vancouver, it's easy to remember that. Uh, not every not everyone in North America can get to a convention easily, especially in in, in certain parts of Canada. And, no doubt, yeah. yeah. Um, and like on that note of uh, you know our pandemic life right now, um, I, I know obviously you can't talk much about things specific things you've been working on, but what has how has the pandemic COVID nineteen like impacted your work? Obviously, I, I would imagine you were already doing a lot of stuff remotely. And you're doing more stuff remotely. What what's your experience been? Yeah, I mean it's it, it's interesting. I was just having this conversation with a fellow voice actor yesterday, um, because we are in a we are in a we're, we're at a studio and we happen to like just pass each other in the green room. And like typically now, I guess um, you know it's one actor in the building at a time, basically. But we just happened to pass each other in the green room and we kind of joked about it. We're like, look at us. There are two actors in the green room together. And I, in that moment, I realized how much I missed that. Like how much I just missed like sitting around and listening to a bunch of us goofy VAs just jaw and talk and, 
you know, I, I think there's a lot of things that this, there's a lot of things that have changed. Um, and one of the things is it's really hard to get the temperature of the town. I, I don't really know what's recording and I don't really know what other people are doing. Mm, yeah. But, but more than that, it's, um, you know, you, you come to terms with the fact that you're going to lose out on jobs and you're, you're not going to be right for a job and you're not going to get cast for the thing. But it's a different thing when you get to go to an audition and you get to see Vincent Tong or Adrian Petru or Brian Doe and you see these people and you go, right, like these are the people that I'm going up against and I love these people. And if they get it, then great. It's so much better. It's so much nicer to do that than to just record a thing in your closet, send it off and then just be like, well, I wonder if that'll go. I guess I'll wait four months and find out. Um, it's a, it's a bummer. I I love the people in this industry in this town so much. They're the lifeblood of they're they're the, they're what makes this town good. Um, you know, just a, a tremendous amount of talent, but a tremendous amount of like professional respect and and admiration um, between all of us. And it just sucks that we've lost that a bit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's, that's and the I, part I, hope, I, I hope we go back. I hope we go back to getting to record ensembles and getting to. Um, audition in studio together. If, if the industry continues to kind of trend toward like, get a home studio, get a space where you can record at home. Um, I, I don't know if I, if I see myself pursuing it as vigorously as I, as I have, because I, like I can make voices in my closet till I'm blue in the face, but I, I've always just wanted people to witness me. Just watch me perform. Just let, let, let me do the thing I like doing in front of you. Um, and then ideally clap for me and tell me I'm pretty, you know, like it's, it's all I've ever wanted. I just want to perform in front of people and I just don't get a sense of satis the same sense of satisfaction when I'm doing that alone, uh, in my closet at home. Yeah. I mean, much has been said about how animation can, can thrive because it's one of the easiest professional productions to do you know, remotely during a pandemic, <laughs> but I, I don't think people realize what you lose when, um, you know, when you lose that interpersonal element that you have with uh, with working in the industry, and that's a, that, that's a really good point. And yeah, I hope I hope things can stabilize for you and for everyone soon uh, when when it comes to that. But there are bigger fish to fry in this uh, in, in this time, of course. In, in, but yeah, um, yeah. we can still we can still mourn the less significant too. <laughs> in, indeed, indeed. Yeah. There, there's just magic. There, there's there's magic in the room when you get a bunch of voice actors together. Um, and you're all looking the same direction and you're all doing a, uh, you're doing a, a show together. There's, and, and especially as a young and up and coming voice actor, one of the most formative things for me was getting in some of those early prelay shows where maybe I had like three or four lines, but then I just like sit and watch and just sit and watch everybody work. And like I, I learned so much and I stole so many good ideas and I, you know, mm. I, I, it, it's, it, it's an incredibly formative thing to do to watch your heroes do the do the do the work um and and that's another thing that's that's kind of being lost especially for for younger and up and coming kind of VOs yeah a couple more uh of your roles i wanted to dig into a little more before before we wrap up one i know you have been spider-man in a few of the marvel uh video games in the last couple of years mm. um which I understand is something that you are positive about. <laughs> yeah, uh, as I, I don't think I've been Spidey in any um, in any video games. I've been Spidey for um, for a series of 
uh, of animated shorts that Marvel oh, okay. did. And I, and I've been Spider-Man for, um, for, uh, Marvel and, uh, for, for rather for, um, for Lego, um, as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought, sorry. I thought that, I thought that was a video game. I guess, uh, I didn't uh, do my research well enough. I wish, man. I, 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 I would love to play Spidey. Well, I'd love to play Spidey and anything, but being in a video game would be very cool too. The, the Spider-Man thing is crazy cause it's, it's, um, it's a resume topper for life, man. Like, like it, I, it may have been one of the first cartoons I watched religiously was the 1960s Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I watched it all the time as much as I could. Um, and yeah. And yeah. So playing, getting the opportunity to play the role of Spider-Man for as long as I have and for as many times as I have is, it's still like a pinch me moment. It's yeah. ludicrous. Let's talk about, I think you're, Probably your your biggest most recent role that's been released, which is which is Arashi in Zoid's Wild. Uh, again, the the shonen protagonist lead in a in a in, a, in an anime. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was that, that. I mean, Zoid's was great. Uh, Zoid's was an awesome experience, and it was one of those times where I I went in for the audition and I was auditioning for Carl, and you know Carl knows what I can do, and you know we had a great time doing the doing the audition together and you know i i left and i felt pretty confident and felt pretty good and then i ended up getting the part um well the the actually the 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 part was given to somebody else and it was it was recast and they gave it to me um and i was freaking jazzed man like because i knew it was a long series but more than anything i knew that i was going to get to work with carl and uh and you know the the excellent excellent engineers at ocean who i just love man like the 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 slate of amazing engineers at ocean uh it's just incredible and anyways so zoids was friggin great it was a good gosh two years of just consistent consistent work which is a dream and then like working with carl come on it was amazing yeah so obviously you can't talk about um, stuff you're working on specifically, but like, how, just how are things for you in general right now? How uh, wh- uh, is there anything you're up to? Um, where where are you where are you at? That's kind of you to ask. Um, uh, where am I at? I'm I'm doing really well. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh uh yeah, I'm doing really well. Work is work. Um, and and sometimes it's sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's hit or miss, but in many ways, that's how it's always been. Like, like the job is uncertainty, um, a lot of the time. So my professional life hasn't changed so much aside from the, uh, aside from the obvious stuff. Um, yeah, man, it, 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 it's ebbs and flows. Sometimes things are good and sometimes things aren't, but I'm uniquely privileged, um, in the, in the position I'm in, uh, that I've been able to keep my head above water and, uh, like professionally and financially to some extent. Um, but you know, I just, I, I keep thinking about there will be a time maybe in hopefully this summer, but certainly in summer of 2022 where I will be sitting around the park with some of my friends and we'll be, we'll have been sitting together for 90 minutes and we'll all just realize that we hadn't talked about COVID or Donald Trump in 90 minutes. 
And that and that's the dream here. I just want to get to a point where I don't talk about those things, um, or or rather, we're not forced to talk about those things because uh, it's exhausting and it's done an incredible number on our mental health as a society. Um, yeah, and yeah. it's exhausting. I agree. <laughs> yeah. So I'm 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 tired but optimistic and. Um, as the days get longer and as things get brighter and as the vaccine continues to roll out, I just think that we're, you know, th- th- there's a light at the end of the tunnel and we just got to keep riding these waves and stay safe and, you know, staying close while staying distant. Uh, it's a really paradoxical and bizarre way to, to live. And, uh, and it's not the way that humans are designed to live. We're designed to be social and to be together. Um, and everyone has done for the most part, um, everyone has done a really marvelous job of looking after one another. Um, I, I think there's a lot of news that you see about people behaving badly and people doing bad things. And while those are important stories, I don't think that is the story. I think the story is that um, that we are incredibly resilient and we should be very proud of how we dealt with this in this moment, especially young kids, especially young people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just... Uh, there, this is an insane collective global trauma that we're all living through, and 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 just to get through it is to succeed. Thanks, Cole. Uh, thanks yeah. a lot for coming on the show. So, where can people find you online? You're you're pretty accessible on on social media and stuff. I don't know. I mean, you're, you're welcome to follow me on Twitter. I uh, at at Cole M F Howard. It's very political and it is very much me. Um, it's I, yeah. I'm not. Uh, That's fine. I think that's yeah. that, that's all of us now. You you have some words for Jason Kenny, and you're not alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Follow me on Twitter to listen to me rail about my politics. Um, maybe when when lockdown ends, I might get back on doing Instagram and stuff, but I have oh, yeah. had no interest in doing that lately. And yeah, Twitter is basically the only social media I, I interact with on a regular basis. Um, but yeah, yeah. That, I think that's that kind of sums it up. How boring. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. Twitter's for and better for better or worse, Twitter is where the action is these days, as much as we all hate it. So Yeah. It it's a weird space for discourse, yeah. but whatever. That's how you yeah. got in touch with me, man. It's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um it works. So yeah. Thanks everyone for tuning into Zon N Canada. You can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonncanada at gmail.com. The theme song is by Ultra Klystron. You can find that on his album Packet Flood, uh, and that's at ultraklystron.com. Uh, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you use for getting your podcasts. I do have a coffee account as well. Uh, if you like what I do, uh, you can always send me a few dollars. That's at ko-fi.com slash zonncanada. Thanks a lot, everyone. See you again.